The Water Values Podcast, Session 96. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utility, resource, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGinnis. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGinsey and thanks for joining me today. We've got a great show for you. Our guest today is Mark Ryan. Mark is a former litigator uh, with the Environmental Prote- U.S. Environmental Protection Agency and he uh, moved into private, pr- private practice a few years ago. Uh, but in any event, he is going to uh, share with us a lot about the Clean Water Act. We're going to go through a little of the history because my sense is is that there's a lot of people out there, a lot of lay, lay folks and even lawyers who may not really understand uh, how the Clean Water Act came about. And, you know, we'll, so we'll go through some of the history. We'll go through how it's evolved over time. And then we're going to hit some current issues. We're going to talk about three primary cases in, that are going on uh, with the Clean Water Act. Uh, but Mark does a fantastic job. He's great, and you are really going to uh, enjoy uh, how he kind of explains what's going on with the Clean Water Act. And he even gives his impression of, uh, at least maybe may gives some insight into how the Trump administration uh, might be thinking about these issues. Uh, it was recorded uh, prior to uh, the uh, confirmation of Scott Pruitt as the EPA administrator, so we don't get into that at all. Uh, it was, there's also been a development since we recorded it, and one of the cases where he talks about um, the water transfer rule the court has issued, and if you want to check out the show notes, uh, which can be found at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 96. Again, that's thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 96. I'll have a link uh, to uh, some information about how the Second Circuit ruled in the water transfer rule case that Mark uh, is talking about in this. But in any event, um, before I turn you, oh, before I turn it over to the actual interview, I uh, just wanted to say thank you for all your emails. Thank you uh, for that support. I really appreciate you, the listener. It's always nice. I got a, I got some email. Uh, recently where the subject line was fan mail. And there's nothing better than opening your inbox and seeing uh, something that says fan mail and having a very nice, um, a very nice email from a listener. So thank you for that. Uh, If you haven't left a review and a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, whatever podcast directory you listen on, please consider doing so. Uh, And you can also support the podcast. Uh, Very much appreciate that by uh, clicking on the yellow donate button on the watervalues.com. You can go there and uh, the water values will accept donations in any denomination. So thank you so much for that. Well, let's get on to the interview with Mark. It's a fantastic interview and I'm sure you're going to learn a lot as did I. So with that said, let's get on with it. Open the valves, fasten your seatbelts and here we go. Well, Mark, thanks so much for coming on to the water values podcast. Really appreciate your time today. Uh, For starters, how about telling us about, uh, your background and how you got interested in water. Uh, sure. My name is Mark Ryan. I am a principal in the law firm of Ryan and Cooler, the LLC in Winthrop, Washington. And I've been in water now for uh, most of my professional life. I studied limnology, which is lake ecology at the University of Michigan many, many years ago. Um, and then um, <clears throat> after law school, I went to law school to become an environmental attorney and uh, after a brief detour in private practice uh, doing non-environmental work, I was hired by the EPA 
1990, uh, specifically to do uh, Clean Water Act work because of my background in limnology. My the the person doing the hiring at the time at the EPA was a former PhD oceanographer, so we were a good match. Oh, uh, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. So uh, that's really what, what we're here to talk about today is the Clean Water Act. And um, in terms of the Clean Water Act, you know, I think everybody's heard of the Clean Water Act. I My sense is that uh, a lot of lay people out there may not really understand what the Clean Water Act does. So could you give us a, you know, a, a very quick kind of thumbnail history uh, just so that we have some context as we as we go through our discussion about the Clean Water Act, what you know, where did it come from, and kind of what is the generally what does it do? Sure, the Clean Water Act is one of what I call the cornerstone environmental federal environmental statutes. Uh, the others being the Clean Air Act and uh, the Superfund Law or CERCLA. Um, and what it does, it was passed in 1972. The, the version we know today was passed in 1972 by Congress. Um, in recognition of the fact that the prior state and environmental laws just weren't doing the job, um, pollution doesn't typically obey state boundaries. So having a federal standard was found to be a key to cleaning up the environment. Uh, <clears throat> many of your listeners are, might remember the, the Cuyahoga River fire in 1969 on the Cuyahoga River in um, Ohio, uh, Congress didn't lose sight of the fact that water is not supposed to burn. Um, and in <laughs> response to that uh, river fire back in 1969, uh, Congress stepped in to greatly enhance the uh, federal protections for waters, which again flow across state lines largely. Um, and that's what we have now is the what we know is the Clean Water Act. The, the original act, in, which was passed back in 1948, uh, was a good start towards cleaning up uh, rivers. I mean, back prior to 72 and 48, everyone just dumped whatever they wanted into the water unrestricted, um, uh, primarily uh, city municipalities um, and all, all industry. And the water quality was atrocious at the time. So um, 48, they, they gave the duties to the states uh, every state was concerned that it would set standards too high and chase jobs over state lines to the neighboring states. So that we had the proverbial race to the bottom. Every state tried to weaken its laws to not be stricter than the neighboring states. And what, what we got was the Cuyahoga River fire in 1969. So Congress in 72 passed um, what we now know as the modern Clean Water Act, which set minimum federal standards uh, for both technology and water quality standards that applied nationwide. Um, and what we what we have today is an outgrowth of that original seventy two effort. So, uh, Mark, great summary in terms of what the uh, the Clean Water Act, uh, how it came about, and a little of its history. Uh, how is it administered? Uh, the Clean Water Act is split into two basic sections. There's the NPDES section, the National Pollutant Discharge Elimination Systems which is the permits discharge pollutants from pipes into, into creeks and rivers and lakes. And, and then there's the wetland section, section 404, uh, which is administered by the Corps of Engineers. So EPA has authority over NPDES, and the Corps has authority over section 404 wetlands dredge and fill material. Um, and, then the, and then the states all have authority, mostly have authority under the NPDES. The states run the NPDES program. Uh, 46 of the 50 states, or 47 now, um, with two other states in line to have authority to run the programs um, with EPA oversight. So that's that's the basic structure. Perfect. 
uh, how, how have we kind of, where have we come since 1972? You, you kind of mentioned um, the, the standards that were used in that 72 act. Uh, you know, how, how have those evolved over time? Well, the 72 Act did something rather innovative at the time. It set uh, minimum technology standards. In other words, it, it ordered uh, the newly formed EPA at the time in 1972 to take a look at what technologies are available to clean up the water. For, let's, let's look, for example, at a uh, sewage treatment plant or publicly owned treatment works, POTW, um, that are you know, almost every municipality in the country has and are one of the largest sources of pollution and, and polluted water going into our waterways. And they said, what technology is out there <clears throat> and can, that can be applied across the board? And they studied the technologies looking at, say, for example, secondary treatment, biological treatment of, of, of municipal wastewater. And they said, these, these, these technologies are available and if applied would result in um, discharges, for example, of 30 milligrams per liter of TSS or 30 milligrams per liter of BOD, biochemical oxygen demand. Um, and they said, you have, everyone has to, in this particular category, has to apply these technologies. Um, and that was the first thing they did. And that took quite some time to get into place. There were many, many lawsuits challenging the technology standards, and that worked its way through litigation for years. But by around 1990, about the time I started the EPA, they after took almost 20 years, um, the technology standards were finally in place, no longer being challenged. And, and it wasn't just for POTWs. It was for all industry, um, pulp and paper, oil and gas, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we were starting to you know, do a pretty good job of applying those, but we were still seeing serious water quality problems, um, especially where you had high concentrations of industrial facilities. Uh, each, each individual facility might be meeting its technology standards, but the, the sum total of all those discharges in a particular area would might be overwhelming the ability of the water to assimilate that pollution. And we were seeing water quality problems. So that's around the early 90s is when EPA on a national level in the states, working with the states, finally started to um, invoke what are called the uh, water quality-based standards. And that's what we're seeing the benefits of today. Um, and also the what the states, the states were still actively involved. I mentioned earlier that the states were doing a poor job prior to 72 of keeping the water clean, but the states remained actively involved and due to today. And right now, I think 46 or 47 of the states now are in charge of running the Clean Water Act with EPA oversight. So that's that's kind of what was going on between 72 and and today in, in a very large picture. Okay, perfect. Now, we, we, we could cover a broad spectrum of things here with what the Clean Water Act uh, has done. One of the one of the more pressing kind of recent uh, issues is the water of the U.S. rule. Um, there's been a lot going back and forth on that. Uh, really quickly, explain to us what the waters of the U.S. rule is, and kind of it'd be great to get your perspective if you're willing to share it on on what do you think uh, is going to happen in this next term. Uh, sure, I, I I was one of the authors of the waters of the U.S. rule, so I'm somewhat limited in what I can say about you know how it came to be, but uh, I can certainly talk about it in general terms. Um, let me step back for a second and give us some context for what the waters of the U.S. rule is and where it comes from. The, the Clean Water Act applies to any, this is a five-part test, any discharge of a pollutant by a person from a point source to a water of the United States, or what the statute, what the Clean Water Act actually says is any discharges of pollutants to 
navigable waters. And Congress defined navigable waters in the Clean Water Act in Section 505, 502 as uh, saying that um, the navigable waters shall be at the waters of the United States. And they left it at that. They didn't describe what were the waters of the United States. So they left it to the EPA and the Corps of Engineers, which runs the wetlands program under the uh, Clean Water Act, to define what is a water of the United States. And back in the early 70s, they did that. <clears throat> and they came up with a fairly broad definition that pretty much included everything that was wet in the United States. And that was the... Um, that was the test for until 1990, when the, the what the, the Supreme Court looked, took up the definition in the famous Swank case that was Solid Waste Agency of Northern Cook County versus the Corps of Engineers. Um, and um, what I used to describe to people when they asked me what it was a water of the United States prior to Swank, I would say it is. Um, if something flows into something, which flows into something, which flows into something, which flows into the ocean, it's a water of the United States or if it's adjacent to one of those things, or if it's visited by migratory waterfowl, which was the hook through the Interstate Commerce Clause, which was the, was the which is the constitutional provision which supports the Clean Water Act. So, um, like I said, pretty much everything prior to Swank in the early 2000s, 2001, was considered jurisdictional. And what the Supreme Court in Swank said was, um, it was Swank was a challenge to a need for a wetlands fill permit under Section 404 of the Clean Water Act. Uh, the Corps of Engineers was telling the Solid Waste Agency of Northern Cook County they needed a permit to fill an old gravel pit, which had filled, uh, become a wetland after over time, and the swank wanted to fill it with, a, turn it into a, a garbage dump. And the Corps said, no, you can't fill it. The swank challenged saying that that particular um, wetland was not connected in any way to interstate commerce. It was isolated and therefore was not subject to protection under the Clean Water Act. And the Supreme Court in a 5-4 vote said, yes, that's correct. There has to be some significant nexus. This is a term that the Supreme Court made up in 2001 in the Swank case. There has to be some significant nexus to downstream waters in order for something to be considered a navigable water under the Clean Water Act. So that started the the contraction of jurisdiction under the Clean Water Act. And a few years later, there was the famous Rapanos case out of Michigan, in which the Supreme Court, again, uh, relied on the significant nexus test, and they also created a new test, which is called the Relatively Permanent Waters Test. Um, it was a, the, the, the Rapanos case, unfortunately, was a, a, a just a train wreck of a decision. Um, it was a 4-1-4 uh, decision with no no official opinion of the court, and we had four conservative justices saying, no, there shouldn't be a significant nexus test. There should be something we call the relatively permanent waters test, which, again, was paid up by the Supreme Court, and no one quite knew what that meant. Um, and then there was Justice Kennedy by himself in the middle saying, no, we, we should go with a significant nexus test. And then we had the four liberal justices on the other side saying, no, we would go with the old 19... 70s test set up by the EPA and the Corps. We're fine with that. Um, so what ensued after 2008 in the Rapanos case, excuse me, was that we had years of litigation over what it meant and what was in and what was out. And it was really, no one really understood what was covered by the Clean Water Act anymore. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So that EPA was, at the time we were waiting for Congress to act, we thought Congress really needed to step in and fix this 
So, so Congress made some efforts uh, to uh, amend the Clean Water Act, but wasn't able to get consensus, and <clears throat> that ultimately went nowhere. So EPA ultimately decided to do a rulemaking, EPA and the Corps, I should say, um, which is to regulatorily define what is a water of the United States. And they had to redefine the, def the, the old definition in the context of the Supreme Court decisions of Swank and Rapanos. And that's one of the, the regulatory efforts that I was actually part of. I, I helped write the draft rule. Uh, I left EPA in, in 2000, 2014 before the final rule was issued, so I had no involvement in the final rule. But <clears throat> what we were attempting to do was come up with a new rule that created uh, regulatory certainty um, in the context of the Supreme Court decisions and in the absence of any congressional action by um, Congress to tell us, to tell the world what they meant when they wrote uh, the waters of the United States as the definition of navigable waters in the Clean Water Act. <clears throat> so the, when the rule came out, it was, uh, it was uh, quite controversial and has been challenged and is now in litigation in both the district courts, federal district courts, and in the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals where all of the uh, petitions for review have been consolidated. Sure, and and so one of the the big kind of keys to that is is the waters of the U.S. rule. It didn't it didn't come about because you know the there's some sort of regulatory overreach in terms of just wanting to uh, come up with with what the waters of the U.S. is. It came out of all this uncertainty created by these these Supreme Court decisions, the Swank and the Rapinos case. Yeah, that, I mean, that's where the, the regulatory effort came out of the, out of the um, Supreme Court decisions. Uh, but now that the new decision, the new rule is out, it's highly controversial and is being challenged very, very aggressively, for example, by the Farm Bureau. The, by, they believe that it's a, a great intrusion into the you know, activities of farmers. Um, and, so it's, well, that's, yeah. that's perfect. Can, can you kind of elaborate on that point? Why do the farmers think it's it's such an intrusion into uh, their activities? Well, all I can do is paraphrase what they've said. They, they've run a fairly aggressive uh, public uh, campaign. They call it Ditch the Rule. Um, they believe that uh, EPA is now asserting jurisdiction over ditches on private property um, that were never uh, covered before regulatorily, and that the EPA is going to start getting into the um, land um, management business. Uh, I, I'm somewhat reluctant to get into this too much because, again, I was one of the authors of the rule. Um, I can say, just you know, looking at this, the the surf, the just the text of the regulation, um, it's hard for me to see why the farm community is quite so upset because uh, farming is largely exempt under the Clean Water Act. Uh, the definition of point source in the Clean Water Act specifically exempts all return ag flow, the re return flow from irrigated agriculture and stormwater runoff off of farm fields. So that's in the statute. EPA and the court cannot change that. Um, it's given that that, there, that exemption is built into the statute, it's, it's it's a little bit hard for me to understand why the ag community is quite so upset over this. Um, <clears throat> but um, I think you need to talk to someone from the Farm Bureau. <laughs> Sure, to, sure. To get a better, uh, to get their their perspective on it. Well, good. Well, I'm I'm glad you also clarified what a point source, um, uh, what point source means, because that was well, that was going to be my next question. Is is because you mentioned that very early on when you were uh, discussing kind of the waters of the U.S. So, 
Uh, let's turn our attention to some other interesting things uh, going on with the uh, Clean Water Act. And, you know, as, as we were kind of preparing for this, we talked about a, the Des Moines case. So can you tell us a little about the Des Moines case? Yeah, the Des Moines case is a really interesting one. The, in, in Iowa and in many, many, part, many parts, of the parts of the used by farmers to drain excess water that's underneath the soil off so they could so the soil is dry enough to farm. It's 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 a widely used practice, especially in Iowa. <clears throat> and what the city of Des Moines has said uh, is that these tile drains um, are draining a lot of uh, nutrients, especially nitrates, out of the front of the soil because farmers use a lot of uh, fertilizer to raise their crops. It's it's just it's necessary. It's been done for um, you know hundreds of years. So they. What the city of Des Moines is seeing, though, is they have very, very high nitrate concentrations coming in to their water source, which they use to pipe water into people's homes. And they spend millions of dollars each year to clean up that water. And the city of Des Moines has said, wait a minute, these pipes, these drain, tile drains, they're point sources. And if they're point sources, they should be regulated under the Clean Water Act. And they filed a lawsuit against the drainage districts or two of the drainage districts in Iowa. And that case is currently pending. And the reason it's so controversial is because, um, as I mentioned earlier, the Clean Water Act had built into the definition of a point source. And again, the Clean Water Act applies to all discharges of pollutants from point sources. So it's important to know whether you're a point source or not. And, it, and ag or agriculture typically is considered non-point source because of that exemption I t mentioned earlier. But what makes tile drains so interesting is they're a pipe. They're not just stormwater runoff sheeting off the surface of a farm field. And they're also not um, return flow from irrigated agriculture um, because Iowa, the problem is they have too much water. Um, so they're not irrigating. They're just, just groundwater that's seeping into these tile drains and then from through the, the pipes into the creeks. So the city of Des Moines is saying, hey, these are point sources and should be regulated. Um, it would if if they win, it would be the first time that I'm aware of that uh, on a large scale that a court had said that farms or discharges from farms would be regulated. So that would be a it would represent a sea change in how we've looked at agriculture over the years. Um, you know, EPA knew about this tile drain issue for many many years, and really never did anything about it because um, you know they didn't want it. They knew that there was an issue with the interpreting the statute as that these tile drains might be point sources, and they didn't want to regulate ag, but they didn't want to go so far as to try a rulemaking because that could get challenged. So they just looked the other way for years. But the city of Des Moines now has brought this to a head, and it will be really interesting to see what happens under the Trump administration because under the prior administrations, like I said, EPA just stayed away from that issue. Um, let far They were perfectly happy with letting farmers run their tile drains. But now that it's been the issue is being forced in the courts, EPA will likely at some point be asked to come in and opine on what is the law. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what the new Trump administration does with that. Yeah, for, uh, certainly. Now, you mentioned that was pending. Uh, what is the procedural posture of that? Where is it pending? It's at a district court in Iowa right now. And okay. It's scheduled for trial in June. They have summary judgment motions have been filed uh, last summer, and those are those are those are pending. The judge has not ruled on those yet. There's also a companion state court case on the ability of the city of Des Moines to sue the drainage districts for damages under state tort law, uh, which is really 
only tangentially is related to the, the federal court case. Sure, sure. So um, we suspect that's, you know, if they go to trial uh, this summer, summer of 2017, uh, is, you know, we can expect an appeal from that. So this is going to be a big issue for years to come. Uh, as it, as it, it yes. as it works its way through the uh, through the the federal appeals process and possibly up to the Supreme Court. Yes, I I, I think this one could easily go to the Supreme Court. Um, and where we get back again to that appointment of the of the Justice Scalia seat and how that could play an important role in future Supreme Court decisions. Um, and also Congress could step in and uh, amend the Clean Water Act at some point. The, the, the farm lobby is extremely strong, and I would not be at all surprised if we saw bills introduced to redefine what is a point source to include tile drains as exempt from the point source definition. That would not surprise me one bit. Okay, perfect. Now, um, this discussion has just uh, kind of refreshed my memory that I failed to ask what the procedural status or the procedural posture of the uh, Waters of the U.S. litigation is. So could you really quickly just go in and, and kind of tell us what where that stands? Sure. There's two, there's two there are parallel proceedings in state, excuse me, in federal district court and in the Court of Appeals. The Court of Appeals is the one to watch. It's been all there's there were I think believe eight or nine petitions filed in eight or nine district uh, circuit courts. They've all been consolidated in the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. That is um, the briefing on that was just completed as of Friday. Um, the United States filed its brief. It was a 245 page brief responding to uh, four other briefs filed by four other petitioners, which I think were all equally voluminous <clears throat> in total. Um, and that issue is now before the um, Sixth Circuit for review of the challenge to the Waters of the U.S. rule. And I would expect to see a ruling sometime in early 2017. Um, again, it'll be interesting to see what the Trump administration does if they try and withdraw that brief. They would have to file a motion to do so. Um, I suspect the Sixth Circuit would grant the motion, but they obviously have missed the deadline for filing their own brief. So uh, we would we have 21, I believe 21 states have intervened in that Sixth Circuit, Sixth Circuit litigation uh, on behalf of EPA, and those 21 states would then continue the fight, if, even if e the Trump administration pulled the brief. So um, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. The Sixth Circuit, I might add, is the same circuit that held in favor in favor of the United States or in favor of EPA on the Rapanos case. So um, it's not beyond the pale that they would uphold the rule. Um, if they did, then it would go to the Supreme Court. Um, EPA could theoretically, under the Trump administration, uh, try to withdraw the rule, but that would have to go through public notice and comment under the Administrative Procedures Act, which would take a minimum of a year um, to just go through the public notice and comment. They'd get a million comments on the withdrawal, just as they did on the promulgation, and then they would um, – <clears throat> then there would be um, – uh, federal court challenges against the withdrawal of, uh, under the APA. So I think if the Sixth Circuit rules in favor of the rule, it's going to be in place for at least a year or two or three while it winds its way through the courts. Uh, if it sends the rule back, and then EPA, of course, would probably kill the rule at that point or repromulgate something that would be much more favorable to uh, the different lobbying groups that have been challenging the rule along the ways. Sure, sure. Um Really, this is this isn't necessarily water related, but I think it plays into the politics. Um, you mentioned the Administrative Procedures Act, uh, and the uh, 
the House recently passed the Regulatory Reform Act of 2017, which which kind of weakens, uh, if if enacted by the Senate and signed by the President, would weaken the uh, the APA. Uh, if are you familiar with that that RRA uh, bill that went uh, through I've the House? I, I've seen a summary of it. Um, I think it, it, what it does is it takes away the ability of the courts to give deference to the agencies assigned the task of implementing the regulations or the, the statutes. Um, for example, you know something that's very, very technical, like such as the Waters of the U.S. Rule, which is based on a lengthy scientific document called the Scientific Synthesis. Um, and if you look at the United States brief that was filed last week in support of the the um, Waters of the U.S. rule, they, the United States cites very, very heavily to this complex science that's involved with um, uh, you know, connecting up, up and downstream waters and, and nutrient cycling, et cetera. The courts typically would look at those complex regulations and complex science and say, this is beyond our ability to review carefully. We are going to give deference to you, the agency, and your and your interpretations of this stuff. Um, and what this new bill would say is no more deference. The courts look strictly at the statute and the regulation on its face and don't give any deference to the agencies, which would take a lot of power away from the agencies, quite frankly. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens politically because if if the Senate passes this and it goes to President Trump to sign, he would be signing a bill that would take away his own powers. So um, even though I suspect he is aligned with uh, giving less deference to environmental agencies, he might not be so aligned with giving less deference to agencies that he cares more about. Um, it'd be interesting to watch. Right, right. And that, that you know, that, that deference doctrine has been around for a long time. Um, so this yes. is a, this is a significant change. You know, typically, typically, you know, us, us lawyers call it Chevron deference, and that's uh, the, essentially a 1984 Supreme Court case. That I'm sorry, go ahead. And, and as I say, and one can argue too about how much deference courts actually give to agencies. <laughs> I I think if you if you look if you look carefully at the st- decisions, you find that if a judge really likes what the agency's doing, he finds deference, and if he doesn't, he doesn't. <laughs> so <laughs> it, yeah. it'll be really interesting to see if it actually changes much. Fantastic. Um, so that's that's really good about the Des Moines case and about the uh, waters of the U.S. Uh, let's talk about the water transfer rule uh, in our uh, remaining time. And can you tell us a little bit about what exactly this uh, important piece of uh, or this litigation is all about? Well, the water transfer rule is another interesting thing that started during the Bush administration. And, you know, I mentioned earlier about how tile drains, EPA knew about tile drains for years and just looked the other way not wanting to um, invoke any challenges to it because it would create difficult positions for EPA. And I think what the the water transfer rule fits in that same category. You know, what water transfers means is you take water from one water water body A and transfer it to water body B. And the question is, is that a point source discharge? Because usually it's a pipe involved moving these things around or a ditch. Um, And if you, so if you pipe water from the ocean which is salty, and up into an upland lake, um, which is fresh water, um, most people would agree that's not a good thing. Um, and so the question is, is that a point source discharge? Because you're moving waters of the United States, the ocean, into a lake, which is waters of the United States. So um, this issue came to a, a head in the, what's the so-called Mikasuki case that went to the Supreme Court. And 
the Supreme Court did not fully resolve what was a water transfer and whether it was, in fact, a points first discharge or not. So they sent it back down to the 11th Circuit, and it's been banging around ever since. Um, but it's coming to a head now um, as to whether these water transfers, which are quite frequent, by the way, the city of New York moves massive amounts of water from upland lakes um, to rivers that, that carry the water down into New York City. Um, in the West, you know, all the irrigated agriculture moves massive amounts of water around through ditch, work, ditch networks from rivers to rivers and lakes to rivers. Um, so it's actually a big deal whether this stuff should be regulated under the Clean Water Act or not. Um, the Second Circuit right now has a case pending before it um, as to whether uh, one of these particular water transfers to the city of New York um, is uh, subject to Clean Water Act jurisdiction or not. And the lower courts held that it was. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see what the Second Circuit does with it. And if the Second Circuit rules that this stuff is regulated, then it will be a conflict with the 11th Circuit. Um, and then we have a, a showdown for a Supreme Court uh, cert petition. Right, right. Um, so that's, yeah, that sounds very interesting in terms of what might be coming down the pike uh, in terms of these water transfers. Um, you know, we're kind of coming up against our time here, Mark. So uh, could you tell, you know, you've been fantastic, by the way. I, I you know, I always, I always learn something when I talk to the, to the guests and the, you're no exception. Uh, and, uh, you know, for those folks who want to kind of find out more about you uh, and your practice, where can they go to find that information? Uh, go to my website, which is ryankugler.com. Let me spell that. It's R-Y-A-N-K-U-E. H L E R K U E H L E R RyanCooler.com. It's my website and you, you can find all my contact information and background and publications on that. Perfect. Well, thanks so much, Mark. Really appreciate your time. Thank Take you, care. Thank you very much. You betcha. Thanks you too. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Mark Ryan of the Ryan Cooler law firm. He was, he was, I'm sure it came through because it sure came through when I was speaking with him that he is very knowledgeable on these Clean Water Act issues, and I thought he did a great job explaining kind of the background as to why the Clean Water Act was needed, how it's evolved over time from the kind of the, 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 the technical way to deal with pollution versus kind of water quality-based uh, standards for, for pollution control, and then talking about three current issues uh, involving the Clean Water Act, the Waters of the U.S. rule and why it was needed. Uh, how it how it was the EPA needed to do something because of the Rapinos case where it had the four one four split, um, and then he also talked about the Des Moines case concerning point source pollution from uh, agricultural uh, drainage tiles, um, and then the last uh, uh, issue he discussed was the water transfer rule, and that's the case uh, where just the Second Circuit uh, Court of Appeals has ruled. And again, if you check out the show notes, which can be found at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 96, um, we'll have links to information about that Second Circuit ruling. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. You can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag watervalues. You can tweet at me using my uh, handle, and that is at DTM1993. You can email me at david at thewatervalues.com. Would really appreciate hearing from you. I uh, leave a you know post a comment on the show notes. There's been a lot of comments lately um, on a on a variety of topics, and I really appreciate those of you who uh, who take the time to get engaged and leave a comment. It's not that hard. So uh, if if you have something to say, go ahead and and put it out there. Uh, 
Uh, so again, thank you so much for listening. Really appreciate it. And we'll talk to you next time. So in closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. Information in this podcast should not be considered legal advice. Further, this podcast is not a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer who finds water issues interesting and who believes greater public education about water issues is necessary. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.